You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Welcome back to the show. Thank you very much for tuning in. As always, I really appreciate it. If this is your first time, well, thank you. Welcome to the show. Hope you enjoy it. I want to take a quick second here and remind everybody about the pedal raffle we have going on. This is the last, well, we're right in the home stretch. So, yes, if you're listening to this on the day it drops, this is the last day you have to enter to win this rig valued at over $4,600 from guitar to custom pedal board loaded with awesome pedals to amplifier. You can go to pedalraffle.com to figure out how to do that. And in doing so, you will be helping families that were displaced by the wildfires in my area and the firefighters who risk everything to keep us safe. So go to pedalraffle.com to check all of that out. Thank you to everyone who's donated. We've raised a ton of money. And it's just been incredible. So thank you to all the companies who contributed. Again, go to pedalraffle.com to check that out. That link will be in the show notes. Okay, we got that out of the way. Let's talk about our guest. This is Alex. He's from Copper Sound Pedals. You may have seen recently that they did a pedal for none other than Jack White. Yes, that Jack White, which is very exciting. Alex has been on the show before. And he explained his company's story and all that stuff. In fact, he was episode 30-something. I think I said in the episode. You can go back and listen to that if you want to know more about Alex and Copper Sound. This whole tale revolves around the creation of the triple graph pedal that he did for Jack White. And the story is really awesome. And it's cool to like listen to him tell it from his point of view. It's really, really fun. This is a really fun episode. Alex is a great guy. They make really cool stuff. So check all of that out. And yeah, I think we can probably button that up right there. So let's put a bow on it and get into the episode. Boom. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Tone Mob podcast, the show about guitar tone and the people behind it. I'm your host, Blake Weiland, and with me today, I have returning Alex Graldi from Copper Sound Pedals. I was just looking at this before we hopped on because I was trying to remember how long ago it was that you'd been on the show. And that was in 2016, my friend. 2016, episode 32, which is kind of crazy. That's like archive stuff. It is. It is. This is like episode 200 and something, I don't know. 205 or 6 probably, I'm guessing, when it releases. Somewhere in that ballpark. Uh, Oh, wow. So, yeah, (laughs) it's been it's been a minute. It has. Yeah, that was. Yeah. Four years ago. Does it feel like that long ago? Um, you know, it doesn't really, because I feel like I'm some our shop is still in the same place. So it feels like I was just talking to you. Maybe it feels like to me like two years ago, you know, something Mm -hmm. like that. Um. But yeah, no, that's crazy. I was trying to think back because I remember we had our that first pedal, uh, Daedalus, was out, and I had called you and we were talking about it, and I was like, "Oh yeah, it was." Uh, Blake and I were having a chat about that. Holy crap, that's four years ago. One of those things, you know. Yeah, that is a that is a trip. Like, <laughs> it's <laughs> I, four years ago. I was like, "What?" I wonder, like, where this is going to lead me and what's going to happen. I I was still four years ago. I was still in the fuel lab recording your episode that's i was like you know testing gasoline 
while <laughs> while I was recording with you. So it's it's changed quite a bit. And now look at I'm you now. Staring at a Telecaster. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Look at me now. I've uh, graduated <laughs> from ca- from coveralls to a tank top. I'm really uh, classing it up over here. Moving on up. Yeah, yeah. Blowing the sleeves off and calling it a day. <laughs> So let's, uh, you know, if people want to go back and check out that episode, that would probably be a good thing to do, you know, to get a little bit of the company history and your personal history and all that jazz. But I feel like we should probably pick up where that left off. And, uh, you know, if you, if you can even remember the exact journey, like what's happened since then? Yeah, so 2016, yeah, that was our first first pedal of what we've dubbed our duet series, you know, our two foot switch um main like uh main family of pedals if you will um since that episode that we did we expanded on that line of pedals um we added our two-in-one od and boost fox catcher which has kind of been our um flagship if you will in that series um from there we also had i think at the time when you and i did the episode like uh gravity bomb had been out our little uh our little um, mini boost pedal. And from there, we kept expanding on our duet series line. And we went we went the modular modulation route, if you will, of um, doing Polaris, which was our all analog chorus and vibrato pedal, which um, came out, I want to say it was in 2017 that that came out um, around there. Man, mm-hmm. you, you you start thinking about like, oh, when did stuff come out without being in front of like the screen and all that stuff? And you're like, do I know when my stuff came out? <laughs> you know, that <laughs> right? type of no, thing. I, um, pretty, I can't. You know, I think it, yeah, I think it was 2017. We had released Polaris, our uh, chorus and vibrato pedal, and um, you know, I feel like for me, and I don't know how many people think of it this way that are like kind of in this industry. I kind of think back to Nam shows and what we had out at the time as like a uh, bookmark in our history of stuff, you know, like, right. Oh yeah, this win- winter Nam show, like the 2019 winter Nam show, we did our whole booth with Ninja Turtles theme with like pizza that. and all that stuff. And oh, I know yeah. that we, I know we had, um, well, we finally did, um, Loma Prieta, which was our gritty harmonic and tremolo, um, tap tempo tremolo pedal. And that was the fourth one in our family of duet. So I've kind of used those, I think as, um, you know, uh, bookmarks or mile markers, if you will, for kind of like where our stuff was at. Like, oh, what NAM was this? Oh, yeah, our booth looked like that. And this is the pedal that we had out. Okay, so that's right around the time that that pedal came out, you know? And I'm wondering if any other, uh, any of the builders in this industry think that way or if it's just us. I have a hard time because I don't have like a schedule of products being released, at least not my own, that I have to worry about. Uh, mm-hmm. I have a hard time like, keeping track i'm like okay i remember being really excited about the chase bliss tonal recall when did that come out and it's like somewhere between 2015 and 2017 (laughs) but i don't remember like when that was actually (laughs) right yeah sometimes you remember the like the milestone itself more than the actual calendar date yeah yeah it's it's really weird it's hard for me to like gauge time uh well, it's hard for anyone to gauge time these days. Like this year has simultaneously dragged on longer and you know harder than 
any year of my life while simultaneously it's like, oh, the year's almost over already. What? What happened? What's going on right now? (laughs) I think it's that saying like long days, short years or something like that, you know, where the days can feel long, but all of a sudden the year flies by. Um, But yeah, kind of, I guess that's a quick history that brings us up through 2019, at least the winter NAM show of 2019. NAM show RIP for this year. Um, But uh, yeah, so that brings us up to uh, our uh, four pedals in our duet series. And obviously the reason we did the Ninja Turtle theme is because we have a blue, an orange, uh, a purple, and a red colored pedal. And I think I had made the joke about our colors because we were kind of leaning that way. At one point I was like, dude, if our next pedal is red, we have Raphael and we've got all the Ninja Turtles right there. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, ended up coming out. I remember the booth well. It was like you know, I'm a big, I'm a big turtles fan. So I was like, aha, I see what you got going here. And well, then the pizza, obviously. So, you know, <laughs> yeah, you did the best you yeah. could with what you know the convention center had to offer in that department, which I understand is not the epitome of what either of us would be looking for. But it it's better than zero pizza. The math is there. We don't even have to check. That's right. <laughs> you know, especially 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 when you're like man, I'm hungry. There's like, I can't leave. I, if I try to go around or whatever, you're like, well, just put this in my pie hole and I'm done. <laughs> just mm-hmm. keep going. You know, so it is what it is. But, um, yeah, that brings us up through 2019. Um, since then we also released, uh, we had a limited edition that we did for black Friday in 2019, uh, an Octa called captain hook. Um, that we did was the far first venture into like doing uh, a limited edition series. And, um, from there, you know, we obviously had some other stuff. We we released Broadway, which was our germanium preamp and treble booster, which is in kind of takes on the body of a Telecaster. Um, for any of your fans that have or have not uh, seen that pedal, um, and that kind of brings us up to what we have up until our last release that we did um, just Monday last week or this Monday uh, of this week. Or whenever people are listening to this. <laughs> yes, and I want to talk about that. I know that's a big part of why you wanted to come back on the show, but I, uh, it's kind of a funny, like, weird... I, I didn't know exactly what was coming, but I knew that you were doing something because, you know, when you're in this business, you talk to a bunch of people, and, and like, there were some people that I talked with that were working with Jack in other capacities. And they're like, oh, yeah, these guys from uh, Copper Something Pedals were here. And I'm like, Copper Sound. Like, I know those guys. <laughs> like, uh-huh. And they're like, oh, yeah. I'm like, well, this is kind of a small world. So I knew you had something going on there. Uh, mm-hmm. But let's let you tell the tale. How did it happen? What is it? And then we can get into the details about this particular pedal because I'm very curious. It looks very, very fun. Yeah, so this pedal actually started back to when you and I first spoke in 2016. Um, it was the Summer NAM show 2016, and we were, you know, really young company, and we had our first uh, small little booth at the NAM show down in Nashville, and. When we were getting ready to go down there, we had like a our booth stuff ready. At the time, we had. Daedalus, a Foxcatcher prototype. We had our Telegraph stutter out, and we were getting some buzz for the Telegraph stutter, which was really cool. You know, we ended up getting on the cover of Premier Guitar, which was a really nice treat. Um, 
and we were down in Nashville setting up our booth and everything. But before we went to Nashville, it was a couple days before driving down, and and one of the guys in the shop said, "You want to bring a telegraph to Third Man because they're down there," and I was like, "Yeah, let's let's make it yellow." And bring it down there because that's the color of that store. And um, we made a yellow telegraph. I think it was the day of Nam. We might have gone there in the morning. It's kind of hard to remember because you know the craziness of Nam and everything. But um, we get down there and dropped off a pedal. Spoke with um, one of their employees down at the counter, and I said, "Hey, we're we're from Boston. We're came, we came here for the convention. We're big Jack White fans and." We made a gift for him, and she said, that's great. I will take it, and I'll leave it at his door for his office, and usually in the morning, the box is just gone. I'm like, okay, that sounds cool, a little mysterious, and we did that, and it was the first day of NAM, and first day of NAM for us as a company, period, trying to traverse this crazy labyrinth of a convention, and we got a call on our business line, which leaves a voicemail in an email transcript. And I saw that it was somebody at Third Man Records. And it happened to be Ben Swank. And he's now part owner of uh, Third Man Records with Jack and Jack's cousin, Ben Blackwell. And Ben Swank gives us a call. And we actually have that voicemail, and at some point we'll do something with it fun online. But um, Ben calls us up and says, hey, we got the gift that you made, Jack. He really likes it. He wanted to talk about something. And we're like, okay. I was like frantically trying to run out to like the convention door to go find service or bandwidth or some something that we could actually like get a call back with a uh, – Mr. Uh, uh, Swank, because he left that voicemail. So I'm like running outside, trying to get a hold of him, trying to email back where you have to talk to people as well and, you know, be courteous. And I think we're going to do a Daedalus video at some point with Perry at Premier Guitar. So just like a ton of stuff going on. I finally get a hold of Ben Swank and he's like, yeah, Jack mocked up something that he thinks would be cool. We want to talk to you about we're going to come down to the convention center because they're only a couple streets over. We're like, okay, that sounds great. So I feel like for us, the every minute up until they had visited us in the booth was kind of like, yes, I'm paying attention to people, but I'm also constantly looking out the corner of my eye for third man. Right. Of you, course. you know, like I, I want to be attentive to <laughs> totally. everybody, but it's also kind of like, yes, I absolutely want to thank you so much for coming by our thing. We really appreciate you looking at it, taking a look at all the stuff. I also got to kind of keep one eye on who knows where, cause you know, they could come from any angle. Um, so at some point, um, Ben and his colleague get up to us and they have a printout that Jack did. Like they did like a Photoshop thing where they took the yellow telegraph that we dropped down for them. They must've taken a picture of it and they multiplied it by three and it had three effects. And they said, Jack wanted to know if you'd want to do this idea where it's three of your telegraph, um, pedals excuse me and it has an octave down an octave up and then your kill switch and my words were it's a it's going to be a lot of work but uh yeah we want to do that work and that was kind of the start of it and then nam ended that saturday and we were kind of like holy crap 
first Nam show ever, and Third Man wants to do a pedal with us. So that was that was our first Nam, and that's why I usually tell people when they ask like, "How is Nam?" I always usually I don't because I, for four years I couldn't tell the story or about anything. I say, you know, it's been really good for us. It might not work for everybody, but um, it's been a really good uh, experience for us. So yeah, that was summer 2016 that we had we got that, and essentially we came back and kind of I think we were at the I think we had an Airbnb in Nashville or East Nashville, right outside of, uh, right down the street from East Side Music. And oh, okay. Yeah, so right down uh, where those guys are. And uh, I think that night we were kind of looking up stuff, kind of making a strategy of what we're going to do when we have this, like, 17-hour drive back up with all the stuff and figure out what we're going to do to make octaves, essentially. So, yeah, that was uh, that was the inception of it, if you will, or the very start. So you guys ended up going with a Shark DSP chip, which, as a lot of people who listen to the show are familiar, you know, that's a much more powerful uh, chip than, say, like an FV1. Now, there's nothing wrong with an FV1, especially for certain, uh, certain styles of effects and certain needs, but the Shark is a lot more powerful. What made you decide to step it up to that? Absolutely. They're both great platforms for what they do. Um, so our first prototype that we did, this would be flash forward one year. It's coming up to Summer Nam 2017. And um, at that point, we had Foxcatcher out. And I think we had Polaris was, was coming out. And um, we had made an original prototype that we have here in the shop. And it was pretty much to the style and spec that Jack was talking about for kind of like a proof of concept and first prototype. And we actually did it around the FV1 platform because as people that don't know too much in the DSP world, it's really user-friendly, especially for people that are green like ourselves with uh, DSP. So we tried that. We even had um, one of the guys' good friends back at um, uh, in the... He lives in Silicon Valley, and he works at Western Digital, and he did the coding for what ended up being the final thing. But anyway, we also had him on this for the very beginning. And he was with us from the start. So we had an octave thing generated through the FB1 platform and the kill switch, just like Jack wanted. And we got down there and we had a meeting with Third Man, um, with Jack, Ben, uh, both Bens, and a couple other people in the meeting as well. And... We essentially presented him the first version, which had the FV1 platform. And he played through it in his office. And we had about a 90-minute meeting. We had a huge list of notes of our questions for them, ideas that we had. We had At that point, we actually came up with the name for it. We had a list of names. And Jack liked triple graph. And we went through a couple feature ideas. And his so the two limitations that we have at least the, the FV1 platform has when it comes to doing octaves, because really I think at its heart it's a reverb chip that has a lot of bells and whistles that you can make a lot of fun, great sounds out of. The limitations for the FV1 that we found, and I think are pretty public knowledge, are there's a lot of modulation in high octaves, and the latency and tracking in the low octaves is not ideal for a lot of applications. But when you're doing it with reverb and stuff like that, um, 
it works really well and it sounds great. But for what we were doing, it kind of had those two main limitations. So we have the meeting with Jack in 2017, and he says those exact two things, essentially, without us saying anything to him. He said there's too much modulation in the highs and there's too much latency in the lows. And I'm like, well, the, the king of octave had the ear to tell the two things. Good on right. him. <laughs> <laughs> totally. You, you know, the guy that recorded the first octave guitar pedal in 2005 with uh, Blue Orchid heard the octave quality and was like, these are the two things that could be better. So at that point, we're like, well, we got to go to the NAM show, do our three days, and then take all these feedback notes. Um, great, great time with Jack. He's such an easy person to work with. He works very fast because, as most people, I think, know that are in the world of Jack, he's got his hands in a lot of things, a lot of fires, a lot of all that type of, like, irons and fires. Like, So he gets a lot done in a 90-minute meeting, and he's constantly open and receptive to ideas. And when you're talking, you know, he's generally not waiting to li- waiting to talk. You know, he's actually listening and kind of and going through some of the ideas that we had and, you know, kind of like just spitballing ideas like we had this idea well what if we do it like this what if we do it like that maybe we could do something like this uh that's not really feasible okay maybe we should do this that type of stuff and we got a lot of great notes great feedback and when we left nashville we kind of hit the road and we were like well we got to go back to we have to we have to do something else because we can't do this so we reached back out to our friend that works at western digital over in uh, the bay area in california and Essentially, we told him what we got to do, and we flew him out, and we set up a computer with uh, CCES, which is a program for coding and um, all that type of stuff, um, and essentially set up a computer. We actually call it the Richard computer now in the shop whenever we're referring to it because we flew our friend Richard out to set everything up for that, and uh, it's been dubbed officially the Richard computer. So we flew him out. We set up... um, um, the platform for CCES and essentially over the next two years from there, he would remotely take over the computer. He would write the code. He would send, we would send him guitar tracks like straight to like an interface, like right into like some type of DAW and we would send him guitar tracks because all he would had really was like tone generators and stuff like that because, um, he plays trumpet and he's not, he doesn't have a guitar rig and everything to play through. And we're still kind of doing it theoretically through like development boards and that type of stuff. So we would send Richard audio tracks, different types of licks, riffs, all that type of stuff. And he would write the code for the octaves and all that type of stuff. And he would send back different versions at different frequencies, hertz, all that type of smart stuff that I don't swim to that level in uh, the pool, if you will. (laughs) You know, I'm kind of on the stairs and I'm, I'm in like the three foot region, you know. (laughs) <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, I still got my buoys and like, you know, um, so I can talk a little bit. So we're, we're working with Richard and he would send back the files. He'd be like, hey, tell me what you think about A, B, C, D, and E. And we would listen back different speakers in our car anytime we can while running the day-to-day stuff at Copper Sound. And we would give him feedback and make suggestions. And then he would keep doing it. And then from there, we would get a development board for anybody listening. Essentially, it's like a small little circuit board 
that has all the components on it from analog devices because they make the chip that we use. They're actually um, right here in Massachusetts, which is really cool. And we would get a development board, and that actually has, like, jacks and stuff for us to plug in. And it's like, finally, something that us dumb guitarists know how to do. I can plug this shit in. <laughs> you know? I don't know what all those little beep-boop things are, but I can plug that in. <laughs> so, finally, we're able to plug something in and actually set up, like, an amp and everything. Because it's it's essentially doing stereo stuff with uh, left and right channels for octave down and up, respectively. Um, mm -hmm. we, got this, we got this little... Um, uh, Roland makes this really cool, like stereo, like I think it might be in their Cube series. Um, but this, oh, oh no, wait, it's the Roland. Um, uh, what's that popular brand of uh, the Roland? Uh, uh, the, maybe the KC series. I'm not sure, but the, it was a two-channel little speaker, and we would do that in stereo for the octaves up and down. And Richard would actually, in real time, like take over the computer with his witchcraft however they do that type of stuff which is kind of <laughs> out of my knowledge and you know good on those people that can do all that tech stuff so richard would take over our computer we watched the mouse movie we'd be like this is freaky i know he's doing it but it's still kind of freaky and um he would um essentially go into um crosscore embedded studio the ccs program and he would have his code in there he would be writing stuff and be like hey try changing this type of stuff for different latencies different frequencies and I'll write all that stuff, and you guys change it, give me the notes, and all that type of stuff for, like, Hertz and all that genius stuff. And we would do that, and we would leave notes. And it got to the point where it was like, okay, if you have a really good tracking sound, um, the latency is bad. If you have really spot on, like, the latency is at, like, zero, it doesn't sound as good. So there's this blend of, like, okay, well, if there's no latency, it's going to sound not good. If it sounds really good, there's going to be latency. So it was kind of that double-edged sword. And at one point, he just had a – he was like, you know what? I'm going to rewrite the whole code. And he ended up doing it. And I think I think he was writing it in 16-bit, and I could be wrong here, but I think he ended up rewriting the whole thing over the course of a day into like 32-bit. And literally him doing that opened up the entire world. It was kind of like our eureka aha moment. And it was just like, holy crap. There's like no problems here. There was like no glitches. There was only very small bugs that we had to work out from that point. And that was like the first time where we were like, wow, we actually, I think we actually got it. That's uh, that is intense. Like I, <laughs> I don't, I don't do coding at all. I mean, I've messed with it a very little bit for very, very basic things. And it's like, I don't, I don't know how people's brains can work in that way and like make things make things happen like i mean the very fact that we're able to do what we're doing right now is all because of magic code <laughs> and right, i don't yeah. know how it works i don't understand any of that stuff right it's, yeah uh, we, witchcraft we, we, exactly like i said like i'm on the stairs i'm going in the shallow end and i can i can talk slightly about like codex and audio digital stuff and those type of things, like the Blackfin processor that we're using, which for any person that's like very, very nerdy, Shark and Blackfin are technically different. Um, they're kind of in the same world, but I believe Shark is a floating point and Blackfin is fixed point, which, listen okay. to me, Blake, I sound like I know what I'm talking about. 
I do know a little bit about that just because basically all the knowledge that I, I have about coding is because I've listened to Jack DeVille talk about it so much that I've gleaned <laughs> little bits of information from him and, and sort of know what that means. <laughs> but right. uh, yep. for people who don't know what that means, what, what would you tell them? Um, so to, uh, this is obviously to my knowledge, and there could be somebody yelling at the steering wheel, but the way I've gathered it or taught floating point essentially for all like those numbers and all that genius stuff that you see on the screen the floating point allows those numbers and processes to kind of go infinitely whereas fixed point stops at a certain amount and if i'm gathering it correctly the best way i can make an uh, analogy would be when you tell somebody like oh what's pi they say it's 3.14 it's like Mm -hmm. that would be like fixed point whereas i feel like floating point is 3.14152 blah 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 that type right. of thing. And I believe floating point allows you to process even further and, and, and better, um, which is something that we're going to probably try to look into as well. But um, yeah, so at this point in our journey, I think it's 20, 2018 to 2019 was really where we had the like the hall of like we were really working on the digital side of it because we thought the hardware side foreshadow was going to be easy. It wasn't. And um we kind of really needed to get the digital side done and we would send them prototypes and versions of that stuff. So I guess when it comes to the inside of that pedal, we kind of got to where we needed. Um, we were just about there with um, the digital side, the actual like code and stuff, but there were still some hardware things. And for the circuit itself and all of like the little bits, I think we want to flash forward here till... I'd have to look up when we went, but I think it was in 2019. We had spoken with a friend, Owen Curtin. He runs Audio Engineering Society, um, and he has the Bridge Sound and Stage here in the Boston area. So he works with um, like young audio engineers and that type of um, world. And we had reached out to him because Richard is a coder and he does all that that like digital design for it, but. He doesn't actually make circuit boards. And the first person I had reached out to was, I think he's a friend of the show, uh, John Snyder from uh, Electronic Audio Experiments. Okay. So I had reached out to John. He's kind of like uh, a very well-loved person in our community. And I reached out to him and I told him about the project. And he said at that point it was something that was over his head that he doesn't know how to do yet. And I say yet because he probably at this point in 2020 knows how to do it now and he's just the most modest person. But um, anyway, I'd reached out to John about it and he wasn't able to do this because us, like, we do circuit boards. We design our own circuit board, but so far everything is through hole and anything surface mount like is more basic stuff. But this is like crazy circuit board for this type of stuff. You know, this is getting into like your um, like your Chase Bliss territory and Strymon essentially uses um, analog devices. So anyway, we got to find somebody to help us make this board. So we hit up Owen Curtin, and he's like, hey, I have this this um, audio engineering society thing that I'm doing in New York this weekend. I think it was a weekend. And uh, he's like, you guys want to come down? So Jordan and I, Jordan's kind of essentially the right-hand man on this project. He kind of ran lead on it. And um, Jordan and I were like, yeah. At the drop of a pin, we were like, let's go drive to New York. So we stayed with a friend in the Queens area, traversed through Times Square in a car, which was a nightmare. Probably a story for another oh, time. Oh, jeez. 
Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> we got, I felt like a band trying to get to a show to make 50 bucks. We had like totes and everything because he said, Hey, come out to this uh, thing. We're going to have some dinner at this place. And then there's going to be a group of people and you guys can have like a little booth and everything set up for our, for your stuff. And it's like, yeah, we're not going to say no to that. So we're like, essentially with this project, you know, it's for Jack White. And we'll be like, you know what? Every single possible thing feasible, like we're going to do at the drop of a hat. So we drove to New York. We did that type of stuff. And, you know, we're in Manhattan and we meet with some people. We met with the person that, if I'm getting it correctly, essentially invented MIDI. Oh, okay. Which, well, which kind was, of important. Mm-hmm. A little bit of a thing that is used in our world. Um, so, yeah, we spoke with a few designers, and we met this person named Chad, and he works at Analog Devices, or did, and now is like a, a contractor. So we, we got his information, driving back from New York. We hit up Chad. He's actually in the um, north of Boston area for us. And he comes down, and he's taking a look at everything, and... There were some slight problems with a couple things, but we were working on that. And he hooked us up with this person that used to work at Analog Devices again because we're very spoiled and fortunate in the Boston area that a lot of these geniuses, you know, work at Analog Devices. There's MIT, Harvard, all that stuff. So we're really fortunate. And he hooked us up with this person, and we essentially reach out to um, his contact, Dan Ledger, so Dan Ledger worked in analog devices, I think, for like 13 years and works on development boards, all that type of stuff. We're like, okay, this could be our guy. So he comes down to the shop, takes a look at everything we're doing. You know, we had been working with him through phone call, email, all that type of stuff. We never told him who it was for because for four years we've pretty much been, you know, tight-lipped on this. So Dan comes down to the shop here and, you know, we're going over the project. We got the dimensions and everything and... His job was essentially to make the circuit board, and he made it on the first try. I don't know how he did that, but essentially he made it on the first try. We populated it at a local fab house, and Dan's other job besides fabricating the board, like the layout and everything, he helped us out with some of like the hardware when it comes to how switches interact, and they talk to stuff inside the processor, um, how we upload through JTAG and all of that good stuff, and uh, essentially kind of got us up and running with a prototype. At one point, <laughs> I remember Jordan and I were in the shop. It must have been like 11 o'clock at night, or this is a really early morning. It's tough to coordinate with West Coast and East Coast with timing and people's day jobs. At one point, we had Jordan and myself, we were sitting in front of what we had dubbed the Richard computer for all of our you know, triple graph, Jack White stuff. And Richard had taken over the computer with the mouse from the West Coast where he was. And Jordan and I were on a laptop and we were plugged into the development board and we were working on codes because we wanted to be able to make the foot switches on Jack's pedal be either latching or momentary and have a toggle switch for the middle key to do different stuff, which we can get into after. But at one point, we had Richard on the phone while taking over our computer, while Dan was talking on a separate phone, while Jordan was on a computer. And at one point, I think we had the phones like 69ing so they could talk because Richard had to tell Dan <laughs> what to do where in the code. So essentially, Jordan and I were just like little like monkeys at a typewriter where... 
Dan would be like, hey, add this line of code here to this with this type of bounce rate and see how that works. Upload it. Then we update the code and then we see any faults or whatever. And it's like, okay. And then he would essentially, on like speaker, hey, Richard, can you do this, this in lines 467, 468? Wicked, like impressive nerd stuff that is just beyond me. And he's like, okay, I see that bug here. Let's change that. Dan, can you change this to that? And then he would change it. And then Jordan and I were like, I feel like we're in the matrix. We're just watching this. And then they ask us to hit the enter button and we feel like we're doing something. (laughs) <laughs> you know <laughs> it's like okay hey, monkey, you monkey. hit enter. yeah <laughs> and at one point i swear like they're just both those guys are just incredibly humble genius people you know they never would have said anything but i was like at any point they could have been like hey dummies the smart people are done talking hit your little boop boop button and hit enter and tell us what happened you know <laughs> right <laughs> so but you know what it was such a great process so thankful for them it was great to learn from them um and at the end of the day, we ended up getting everything done. Um, Richard had done with all the code. Dan did all of the uh, hardware stuff. And at that point, the inside was done. And we now have to go on to making the outside jack-proof. That could be interesting. I've watched that man in action. <laughs> yes. he's He is, to put it politely, not gentle on his stuff. No. So uh, and, and like I already know from having a stutter, like the original stutter is for your hand. You're not stepping on that thing, or you 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 can, but you're only gonna do it a couple times, and then yeah, you know. And if you are finesse, is the name of the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just so, it, it's not it's not well. I mean, it was a literal telegraph, like that was designed and intended to be used via hand. That's what they were made for. That's what you're using. Yeah. Absolutely, which most people understand and they get, and there's even like a disclaimer on the box. So, yeah, we essentially had to make this jack-proof, and we figured it out over the course of a year or two, because we had sent out, so we had Jack on the, like, would be testing these out, and we had to take a development board and literally put it inside of an enclosure like, we didn't have a PCB, like a proprietary, something that was made custom. I took a development board from Analog Devices, cut headphone speaker TRS cable so I could split the channels, and I zip-tied it into this enclosure and put it inside. <laughs> yeah, no joke. We have some... There's this some sounds pictures. like something I would do. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, at one point, we had to make another prototype for Jack... And Jordan's like, well, I got to go to CVS and go get a headphone splitter. And we essentially needed um, to split stuff. So I was like, oh, TRS cable. There we go. To do the different octaves and everything. So at one point, we had an enclosure with the development board in it, zip tied down, headphones cut from like, um, like old computer speakers. I had made a power regulator on like a Vero board. And then I made this buffer JFET splitter so that he could do independent channels and I had to stuff it into a board. And then at one point he was talking about the middle key being ascend and return versus being, excuse me, uh, a momentary kill switch. So I did that in an analog manner, which actually worked out for about 95% of the way. We still had uh, some problems with the kill switch itself because there was a little bit of audio bleeding through, 
but we essentially had like three boards stuffed into that enclosure and we had to send those down because Jack was recording his 2019 record, uh, help a stranger. So they were in the studio for help a stranger and we were sending him enclosures with our original telegraph stutter hardware on it. As you mentioned, it's, it's a hand operated thing, but Jack's going to be playing with his feet and testing it out. So, we were like, this dude's like 6'3", 200 plus. He's a big guy. Like, he's bending these things ridiculously in the studio while recording the songs for Help a Stranger. And during that, we had sent him down with um, what we call like bumpers. Essentially, it's like little rubber stoppers like you'd see if you don't want a door to swing and hit your drywall type of thing. Mm-hmm. You know, the, those type of things. So we put those underneath the arms, foolishly thinking that would help. Not really. It like it was essentially a band-aid. So we had to essentially go back to the drawing board. So he had finished recording Help a Stranger, and they were getting ready to go on, I think it was a worldwide tour, because they were going all over. Their uh, guitar tech is actually from two towns over from where our shop is. Let's go figure, which is really interesting. But um, yeah, so they're getting ready to go on tour. The inside and like all the code and everything is great. He's like, I love the octaves. I love the sound, the track and the latency. Everything's good. You know, this has to meet to the guy that plays the whammy and the pog. So we're like, great. The inside's good. We thought the outside would be easy. Nope. So the bumper system didn't work. So I came up with this idea of what if we use our standard industry, like single pole, single throw foot switches that you see with a lot of people that are using like relay bypass and soft, soft click stuff. What if Mm -hmm. we use that and because those are really strong, they have a really high life cycle. What if we use those and essentially have the arms come down over that? So you're still using a telegraph. It's kind of like just the most fancy way to do it, you know, because Jack was really into the aesthetic and that's what got him in the door. So we wanted to keep that aesthetic and make it look unique. So at one point (laughs) I took a telegraph arm and the little um, the circular button that your finger would use, and I put a screw inside of a Craftsman socket wrench. And I was like, what do you think about this? And that was our like proof of concept of, okay, well, if the plunger of this foot switch comes up and it goes through that socket, which was originally just a socket wrench, it now presses it down, activating the um, audio. And because it's cupped over it, it can't move left and right because Jack was having trouble where he would run across the stage and want to press on the octaves, but he'd be hitting it like skewed at an angle. Mm-hmm. So we were trying to say, okay, how this is kind of like can make it the strongest from um, up and down, like the Z axis, and then left and right that axis as well. So we essentially Jordan and myself had a design from the ground up telegraph keys so we designed the base the cradles the arms the buttons and we sourced all of the hardware and essentially the end result was a proprietary telegraph key that you can stomp on with your foot you could still use your hand it would cover the foot switch and we now assemble these by hand in our shop and the final product has that on it it's made between aluminum parts that are anodized black and stainless steel parts. And that's how the triple graph hardware came to be. 
Yeah, that's one thing I really wanted to talk to you about because I could tell in the pictures of it that that, that it wasn't the same. I could tell. Like, it's pretty clear from anybody that's looked at or owned the original Telegraph stutter. It's like, okay. Because I, I knew that that wasn't going to work. So I was looking at it real close in the pictures. I'm like, yeah, these this is definitely beefier. I've never held one myself to, like, see it exactly. But you can tell in the photos that it's not the same hardware. Oh, yeah. This, this hardware has some weight to it. Like, we had an original Telegraph in our hands, which is made out of steel and, I think, ABS plastic. And compared to the one that we made, it's just crazy. Like, I think it's like the weight of three or four of them. So we we essentially needed to make it jack-proof. And we were so fortunate that we actually had Jack himself be the beta tester for this. So he toured with two pedals um, over the like, course of a few months through different countries, different continents, like all around the world. Um at one point, we didn't have the final hardware. Like, we were messing with the idea because they were going back and forth. He sent us a video before tour. He was like, "Here, everything is sounding great, but here's some problem with the hardware. we got to get this stronger. We have to make this that. Um, he was giving us, like, real-time feedback. And we essentially came up with this ferrule system, but the ferrules weren't on his tour board. So he has two boards for tour, and he had... When the racks tore, he had everything on there for the raconteurs. Everything was done up in copper. And he had the triple graph front and center, but he didn't have our new hardware system and the new ferrules that we created to go over the foot switches. So we had them, they were getting ready to do a big show. I think it was a two or three day event at the Ryman in Nashville. So they sent us the telegraphs and they're like, hey, here's a show at the Ryman. And we only had 24 hours to modify the whole entire thing. And essentially, I, I had a shift at my other job until 5 o'clock. And then I had to get to the shop and literally like Dremel, hand modify, proof of concept, these new ferrules that we had designed from a local manufacturer that we are friends with and put them together but not make it too Mickey Mouse, you know, and essentially make it stand up to Jack. And at that point, we didn't even have the buttons. And just, again, for reference, the button is the thing that you would step on or your hand would touch that little circle there. We didn't have the buttons designed at that point. So he toured with cabinet knobs that we got at Home Depot. <laughs> Literally the same thread, very similar look. But you'd see them at any Home Depot or Lowe's or hardware store near you. And we put those on with the ferrules, shipped them back out that next day. It was just the days blended into one at that point. Like over the last few years, we've had some long nights, long days. And uh, that was <laughs> that was a funny moment for us looking back like, holy crap, that has cabinet knobs on it. And it got them through the show, you know, and those pedals never had an issue. They never crapped out. He played all the shows. He even they even go through some of their back catalog, and he would when they came to Boston, he was using the Triple Graph prototype, um, or essentially the beta of it. He was using it on stuff like Steady as She Goes and um, big tunes of that that had come out 15 years ago, and um, really putting it through the ringer, which was just so fortunate for us that we get the actual guy to test it. It's not like we're testing them as well, but like to get the actual person to test it is just beyond amazing. And he, he would help us the whole way. He would 
walk us through certain things and aspects and stuff like that. And we'd constantly be talking with um, his crew at Third Man, and they've just been so great to work with. And essentially, it turned into all of the drawings, the designs. We hooked up with two different fabricators here in the Massachusetts area and essentially designed our own proprietary hardware. And that's where uh, the Telegraph, uh, the new hardware kind of came out of. Yeah, I was just thinking this during this conversation. And I was like, I, I wonder what version of the pedal he was playing when I caught him here. Well, it would have been after, directly after Summer Nam uh, on that Rack and Tours tour. Because I literally got home from Summer Nam and drove like home for a little bit and then drove directly to the Rack and Tours show that was about uh 45 minutes to an hour away uh it was a really wild couple days i got home went to that show uh hung out uh trey from retroactive pedals was doing drum tech for them and got me into the show and uh that was incredible because i'd never seen him before but i was like i wonder what version of the proto that was because he was definitely doing octave stuff i mean when doesn't he but uh, right. he, if he was touring with it, uh, I have to imagine he was using some version of it at that point. Yeah, so he probably had the one at that point, summer after Summer Now 2019, he probably had the one um, that was the original, probably the original Telegraph Stutter hardware, like um, probably the plastic base. So the main pieces of the Telegraph are the base, the cradle gets adhered to the base, and the arm gets stuffed into the cradle, and then you've got the button. So those are like the four main components. He probably had the plastic base, and then we had the cradle at that point designed, like a really strong cradle so that the arm couldn't come out, and we had our first version of the arm done. So the base was still getting held down. The base doesn't actually move, obviously, once it's kind of set down. So we probably had the plastic base and our custom the first version of the arm and the first version of the cradle on that. And we probably hodgepodge together some of the cabinet knobs, different type of knobs that we could find, and are probably the first version of our proprietary ferrule design as well with the foot switches. And there was no circuit board in that when he was on tour. He was using a development board. There was... <laughs> there was <laughs> there was uh, we got we have it in the shop right now and um we have all the versions of it which is kind of cool to see so we have the one that he recorded help a stranger with and then we have the two tour ones um because dan uh his tech and trey were obviously on that whole tour and we have all those and for that tour he it so we had a regulator circuit i told you i made in like this buffer circuit for splitting and then the actual analog devices development board somehow stuff three in there and he that thing was being weird because there's analog ground there's digital ground there's a lot of stuff going on i had to separate them and it has two it takes two power supplies for that tour board he had to plug in um a one spot to actually power the dsp side of it and then a regular power supply with like a less than 100 milliamp um dan his tech would have to do that so that triple for that tour that you saw had two power supplies to actually make that one pedal work. That's so funny. 
Yeah. So funny how that, all this connects together. <laughs> <laughs> and at that point, it still had an auxiliary loop, but the auxiliary loop was an analog switch, a basic switch system and schematic that I drew up to allow him to go from kill switch to auxiliary mode. And that had a TRS cable. So you had to have a TRS-Y cable. And Dan was like, I don't have any of those lying around. And at that point, we were like, okay, we're going to have to just make it two separate jacks for send and return. So the final product has that, but his touring one had um, a TRS send and return. And like I mentioned, it had two DC jacks to make one pedal work. So you probably saw that one, which maybe after this call, I'll send you a picture. <laughs> well, it sounded uh, it sounded great. Jack Jack killed it. It was a it was a really insane uh, thing for me to see him because you know you see these people like somebody that's at that level, right? And you watch them in various media your whole life, and hear them on the radio, and hear them here and there. But I'd never seen him at that point, and then you see him in real life, and you're like, there he is. He's a real guy. He's a real person. He's not just a figment of my uh, my screen. He's really there in the flesh. And it was a really fun performance. And you know, me, me and my friends had a great time. And then the next day, it was a it was a wild ride. The next day, uh, Frank Iro from My Chemical Romance was in town for his tour with his band, The, the Future Violence, and he wanted to, me to bring out a bunch of gear to nerd out. It was just like this crazy multiple day experience that I was just like, what, what has my life become? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I remember seeing some stuff from you. Uh, I know he was on the show as well, right? Yeah. Yeah. He came on yeah, the yeah. show a while back. Yeah. He's, a, he's become like a, a, a gear buddy. We, we nerd out and it's like, this is so insane. This is a guy I used to and still do listen to, but like a guy that I really, I mean, I have a white Les Paul be in good, he's a good part of the reason I really wanted one as a kid. You know, it's like, right, right. Podcasting is weird. <laughs> <laughs> look what I, like I said at the beginning, look where you've come, you know, look, look at where you've come to now. And that's, that's, it's kind of the same thing, you know, like we're, I, I feel somewhat jaded, but still very fortunate that we get to work with them directly and their crew and everything. And it's like, I grew up and like, at one point it became like, Jack was like my favorite artist and the raconteurs were my favorite project of his. And it just oh, so, to be good. So, so serendipitous that we ended up making a pedal that was on their comeback record that they had like a 11 year hiatus for. And it was on the album. It was on one of my favorite songs on the record. And it's just such a surreal moment. And seeing him live is also pretty electric as well. You know, Oh, plus yeah. the fact plus the fact that they did the yonder bag thing like Chris Rock kind of started I feel like and um you know you really didn't have your phone or anything like that and you were just engaging with them and it's like I was mentioning to one of the guys in the shop it's like I'm a huge Brendan Benson fan so I love Brendan Benson I love everything also as well as that their rhythm section does with like greenhorns and all that type of stuff um but it's like when you're watching the raconteurs it's hard to take your eyes off Jack he's so electric and in like enticing if you will yeah i mean he's got the thing you know what i mean like he's, <laughs> he's got, got the, it. the thing he's got it he's got it whatever it is he he has it uh i don't know man i the, the it's one of those things that's really when you see it you know you know it's just uh it sounds like a made-up cliche thing but 
mm-hmm. it's real in that case. And uh, oh yeah, I uh, I learned something shortly after that that I, I never really considered, and I totally should have. And this maybe is like a little bit of a a PSA. So if you get lucky enough to go like do that kind of stuff, like but and if you hang around in the music business long enough, you 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 might get to go do that kind of stuff. And you get these little sticky, they're like a kind of like a vinyl sticker that you throw on your shirt. That's like, it'll say something like it. it's like an image that the whole crew knows that it's like, Hey, like, Oh, this guy can kind of go wherever he wants to go. And, um, after that, cause I, it was like such a surreal experience for me. I like made a post on Instagram with that image, uh, and like a pic that I got or whatever. And nobody said anything, and I didn't think anything of it. And then fast forward a few months later, I got to interview Tepe from Thrice. And I did, I, I didn't know, did I post it? No, my friend Jess uh, posted his past that because we both got to go hang out. And I got a text from the tour manager like immediately and was like, hey, uh, we need you to take that down. And I was like, oh, okay. And he's like, you wouldn't believe it, but people will look for that. And like Photoshop it together and like print out their own version and try to like, I'm like, Oh, I never considered that. I was like, and then I, it dawned on me. I'm like, that's why I've never seen this before. Like Uh. you would think that like, you know, people like to share everything on social media, right? They want to be like, I'm going to do this super cool thing. And I thought to myself when I posted it, I was like, why have I never seen one of these passes before? It's clearly like the one I got for thrice is the same exact material. And, and, you know, idea for the one for the rock and tours. And then I was like, Oh, that's cause you're a dumb dumb and you're, <laughs> and you're not supposed to share that stuff publicly. <laughs> so you, PSA like, uploading launch codes. Yeah, exactly. It's like, <laughs> Hey everybody, here's how you sneak in. <laughs> here's the thing you need. Just get Photoshop this onto a sticker. You'll be fine. <laughs> so yeah, don't be like me. All, all that to say. That's a pro tip right there. So, uh, this was a lot of fun to talk about, and I think it was a, it was good for people to see that like project development for this kind of stuff isn't always straightforward <laughs> or, 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 or glorious. Like it's like there's there's no a, a lot of times there's no romance in this type of stuff. It's like we're just like sweaty dudes in a garage, like working our hardest and just trying to make the dream come true and it's not all you know online picture worthy but throughout the course of this entire thing jordan had the good insight to document the whole thing in pictures and when we had our final meeting down in nashville essentially before going to production so this was right before the world decided it wanted to take a break and uh it was january last week of january 2020 we had a meeting scheduled with Jack and his team and we had an hour meeting and we were working on the final design um, of the box themselves for the standard and limited edition. We were finalizing some of the artwork, but we had all of the hardware there. We had everything done audio wise. Um, we had circuit boards made, PCBs, daughter boards, all that type of stuff. It was pretty much the final product. Just needed a little bit of tweaks and stuff like that. Jack came back with a few like last minute ideas which were huge and we were down there and um what i was saying is we brought to them a 50 page book 
that Jordan and I kind of, he took all the pictures. We kind of turned it into kind of like a, a small coffee table book, essentially documenting the process. And they loved the idea. Their media group and everybody that handles all of uh, that type of stuff for the releases and Third Man, they were loving the book idea. We were like, yeah, we thought it'd be kind of a cool thing to do in our limited edition. And they liked it so much, they were like, let's put in the whole thing. Like, nobody's, cal- nobody's documented a four-year progress of a pedal with a musician this high on the ranks over, like, the course of everything to document it. And we were like, yeah, let's do it. Let's put it in every one. And we had a couple ideas for the book and everything. Jordan and I got back from the meeting in 2020 in January, and we were like, this book sucks. We gotta, we gotta do better. Like it was kind of, it was kind of like in the order. Of if, if you've ever seen kill bill, it was kind of like all over the place, like, but not intentionally. Like we essentially went back to the drawing board and we started the book again from scratch, literally starting with that conversation. I just mentioned to you about going down to Nashville, seeing uh, Ben Swank, everything. Like if you were to read this book, it literally is in chronological order of how we designed it and what we did for it and everything that Jack was doing and the touring and all that stuff. It ended up being a 130-page book that's included with every one. It's got Morse code in there. It actually has hidden messages on most of the pages so that you can use the decipher key to get hidden messages. It also has stuff that's just written out in English as well about the process. And we just kind of we really poured ourselves into this and down to the wire, we're able to order it and get them in time and ship these out with every single pedal, whether you get a standard one or a limited edition. That's so cool. I love that. I love that kind of stuff. Yeah. They, they were so excited about it. We thought it would just be a cool thing for like the first hundred, but they were like, no, let's do this for everything. It's just, it's too cool. It shows the story. And Jordan and I like to put our Jack hat on through the whole thing and just be in the mindset of what he would do. And they love the look of everything. You know, they had small little inputs, but essentially they trusted us through this whole thing that they didn't have to babysit us. Like they didn't have to micromanage. We would send them stuff. And oftentimes they don't have any like things that they would change except maybe like a hex code. Like, hey, here's your new hex code or whatever for it and actual design images for things. But like, you know, we just tried to every time go above and beyond, you know, because it's like, let's go down to see the guy that's got like 12 Grammys and built an empire and brought vinyl back. Yeah, let's make sure right. we, uh, let's make sure we, like, you know, we're on our game. For sure, man. So well, this has been, uh, <laughs> I was going to say, this has been a, a great conversation and it was interesting to hear all the, the ins and outs of the process. And I, I knew it was going to be a story like that because I knew how long it'd been in the works. So I'm like, well, this isn't going to be a five minute conversation. So this will be fun. This is, a, <laughs> this is a nice treat. Yeah, man. Thank you so much for letting me uh, tell the story. Every time I think I tell a little bit of uh, some different stuff, different, different turns, because it's really hard to remember everything over the last four years. Like, you know, the date it happened, who was there, when it happened, what we went to next. Like, it's just been, you know, I, I was just saying to Jordan that we, for so long, were in the place of, how are we going to make this happen? How are we going to find this person? How are we going to design this? Like, how are we going to engineer this and figure this problem? And now the pedal is actually out. The first 200 of them sold in a couple days. And now we're actually at the point where we're looking at pictures like, huh, remember that? 
poor bastards from two years ago us we were so silly we were so, we were so cute look at us thinking that looked good you know and it's like we actually get to look back now and go huh we actually made that happen instead of how are we going to make that happen so it's kind of a it's kind of a cool twist on ourselves that's just been uh really cool and uh now we just get the you know we get to make these for people and they're really excited about them and it's uh a really great thing right on man well i got a couple uh things that i've added in to wrap these episodes up uh since you last came on and uh let's get into those and we'll we'll go ahead and move on to the uh the patreon stuff so if that sounds good to you yes sir let's do it all right okay well first of all uh this is your chance to like say whatever you want to say if you got a message you've been wanting to get out to a few thousand people and just you know, put it all out there. I know you've you've told a long and twisted tale, but if there's anything you've just been wanting to get off your chest or tell people where they can find you, whatever, here's your chance to shine. Yeah, so I guess the first thing for like house cleaning would be if you want to see more about the product, you know, you can go to coppersoundpedals.com. You can also go to thirdmanstore.com. You can find all of their great products there. They make guitar pedals, all that stuff. Um, if you happen to get one, we're really uh, fortunate that people support that. And you can see the book yourself, have some fun decoding Morse code. And, um, you know, we've had a lot of people reach out to us with videos and pictures and email and stuff like that. It's just been overwhelmingly great. Um, so we really appreciate that. And uh, we'd encourage everybody to check out thirdmanstore.com for the triple graph. Um, and I guess the other thing that, I've always kind of thought of and been in that mindset and this thing kind of like really put it over the top for me is like, you know, if you treat something like a hobby, generally that's all it can be. And if you treat something like a job, it has the potential to be that. And we're just four dudes in a 26 by 24 two car garage. We literally have old t-shirts in some spots to be insulation. Like, that's the level we have in our shop, but we're still able to make everything and produce everything. You know, like we just put out like modern King of octaves, octave pedal, like a signature pedal essentially. And we can do that essentially in a garage where we have t-shirt insulation. You know, it, it doesn't have to always be that glamorous. And, you know, if you grind away at a passion, you know, sometimes it gets fulfilled, you know, in, what you do in the five to nine can be more important than when you do your day job in the nine to five. And we've just pushed as hard as we can to do that type of stuff, to be in this place and essentially did that for four years because we'd rather work 70, 80 hour weeks for ourselves than work 30 hours for somebody else at a job that oftentimes you hear the stories all too much that people don't like what they do. And we're just trying to be able to work for ourselves and, keep doing that yeah man i i support that a hundred percent i was in a podcast group lately uh you know just there's a lot of you know there's a group for everything on facebook or wherever and i was in a podcast group and people were like how many hours a week do you spend uh promoting your your podcast or working on your podcast and a lot of people were like four to five and I was like, uh, like 60, maybe, I don't know. Like, I have no idea. 
how many hours I put in each week. And people were like, 60? That's that's too much. And I'm like, well, I mean, maybe. Maybe it's too much. But kind of like you said, like I'd rather work that much trying to do something that I care about and I think, you know, I I can be proud of versus something I wake up every day and go, what? Oh, this sucks. <laughs> like, you know? So... I mean, I don't know. I got some flack in that group. They were like, 60, that's just not. I'm like, well, I mean, I don't know what you want me to say. That's probably it, about what it, I put in. It, we're the same way. You know, if you like what you're doing, it doesn't feel like that. You know, I can I can work in the shop 12 to 14 hour days. And then when I go home, I go on Eagle and I design PCBs because I like being able to keep doing the things we're doing. And those are fun. Mm-hmm. It's like I'm not, I'm not going to go watch The Office again as much as I love that show. It's like I'm just going to keep doing this because – they can keep going other places. And I mean, you know, not to try to say it this way, but like we're kind of like to ourselves, like an example of it could happen. You know, we just did a pedal with Jack white. And like I said, we don't have any lavish luxuries and we're just, we're just grinding away, working as hard as we can. I remember actually the other day I spoke with a pal, uh, Sean, Wright. I think, you know, Sean, right. Lollygagger, mm-hmm. Mr. Lolly himself. And he was mentioning that he was uh, talking our praise and stuff in like a, a forum or a chat. And I was like, oh, man, thanks. That's awesome. Where, where is this chat? He's like, you're in it, dummy. What do you mean I'm in it? Yeah, it's all, he sent me a screenshot. I was like, oh, that's Discord, right? Somebody invited me to that. There was a lot going on. I couldn't follow everything. And then I just decided to keep working on Jack White's pedal instead of read comments <laughs> all day. And I, I, I think I'm, I probably said it less like rude, but I was like, I was like, I think I sent him a thing working on Jack's pedal greater than symbol reading discord messages for five hours, you know, and it's like, (laughs) it's like, I'd rather be doing that. You know, I'm not going to, I'm not going home. I'm not going to watch a movie. I'm not lounging around. I'm just, I like doing this thing and it allows me to keep doing it. So that would be my, uh, my billboard. There you go. Sounds good. All right. Here's the last uh, couple questions here. One. What is your favorite boss pedal? Terra Echo. Terra Echo. Ooh. Okay. Have you That's had that a good one pull. before? I've played it. I haven't. I don't own one, but I've played it a couple times. It's pretty I, cool. I, I think it's so cool. I think it was their 100th pedal, too. It was like a celebration when they... Like, that was like their 100th model or something like that. I remember I was working at Guitar Center, actually. I feel like it was like 2014 or 15. But it Sounds was, about it was right. Such, such a cool pedal and i think it was like their 100th like model or something like that but anyway such a cool pedal there you go terra echo short and sweet <laughs> all right final question it's 10 i normally wouldn't go into this but since it's been so long have your pizza preferences changed at all in the last four years uh nope i still prefer uh like a new york or boston style more of a thin crust um and I am a no toppings type of person. Generally, if it's good, it doesn't need it. So I guess I've, I've kind of stayed there. You know, I have strayed a little bit in some things. There's this, um, there's this barroom pizza place near us that makes this macaroni and cheese pizza that's hmm. really, really good. Usually, like, you and I are probably similar where we can, like, devour a barroom pizza and still be in, like, like, it's been like, oh, it's only been eight minutes and I finished that whole thing. <laughs> 
Uh, yeah, you know, pretty cause, much because they're because they're so small. But this is to the point where sometimes I can't finish it because there's so much macaroni on there, and I have them add the red sauce because don't get rid of the red sauce. I want the red sauce. You know that sounds intense. Yeah, <laughs> it's like that. It's it's. I always know like if I get a few pizzas with uh, myself and a couple other people, and I get the I'm the only one that gets the macaroni pizza. I'll know because the boxes, usually they have like that cardboard circular thing where they'll just put the pizza in there and then they'll wrap it up in like a paper bag. But when they have mine, it's got an actual cardboard box and it's so heavy. <laughs> like that one's mine on the bottom. Yeah, I can recognize it. There it is. <laughs> Absolutely. So yeah, I guess my preference for pizza since we've talked four years ago is about the same. Um, but uh, yeah, and you know what? I still have to have like an authentic like like a deep dish style i think it Mm -hmm. i think obviously as pizza people we owe it to ourselves to try different things and not you know just be one-sided on it i like that i like that all right man we'll we'll wrap this thing up so uh for alex this is blake and as always folks good luck and good tones all right there you go there you have it and if you need more you know where to go or maybe you don't so i should tell you Go to Patreon. You can go to patreon.com slash tonemob, where for as little as $5 a month, there are extra episodes being beamed right into your ears. And that helps me out a tremendous amount when people are able to support over there. Like, seriously, it is a huge thing, and it's amazing. It's amazing that people would do that. And I thank all of you who do, and I thank all of you for listening, because that's also incredible. In fact... If you can't afford to do that right now, I totally get it, but I would ask that you share this show with a friend, somebody you think might be into it, anybody, blast it out on your social media, all that stuff. If you enjoyed this episode or any of the episodes, I would really, really appreciate that. In fact, share your favorite episode with one of your favorite guitar people. That's a present. What a gift you could give to somebody or your worst enemy. Maybe you should send your least favorite episode to your worst enemy. I don't know. Any way you want to slice, it's cool with me. Don't forget to join us over in the Facebook group. There's a Facebook group attached to this podcast called The Tone Mob. Answer the questions. And if you like food and guitar stuff, that's the group for you. Also, check me out over on YouTube. And don't forget about PedalRaffle.com. The Pedal Raffle is, if you're listening to this again, this is the last day. If you're listening to this episode the day it drops, you're on the home stretch. So get over there, enter, help people out and possibly win something rad. All right. Thank you so much for hanging out with me today. I'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. One last thing before we totally sign off here. I just want to remind you that if you do any shopping at Stringjoy, that's Stringjoy guitar strings made in Nashville, that will help me out as well. As I've said for years, I'm heavily involved in that company And I really do think they're making the best products on the market. So if you would like to try custom strings, go to ToneMob.com slash StringJoy and check them out today. I seriously, seriously, seriously love what the team down there is doing. I help them out with all kinds of things. And by you supporting them, you are also supporting me as well. And hey, you need some strings, so why not get some custom strings just for your guitar and playing style. Again, the link for that is tonemob.com slash stringjoy, and that will take you right to their website, and you can do all your shopping through there, and that will help everyone involved out. So thank you very much. 
Talk to you next time. We are brought to you by the wonderful folks at Gun Street Wiring Shop. Yes, Gun Street Wiring Shop. I've talked about them before. I used to say based out of Bend, Oregon, but guess what? Sean moved to my neck of the woods. Sean's in Portland. Sean is awesome and has helped me with a bunch of stuff lately. And if you have wiring needs for your guitar, he can help you too. If you want to get weird with it, he can get weird. If you just need to spruce things up a little bit, there's your guy. He takes all the guesswork out of doing your guitar wiring, and he makes it simple, and his customer service is top-notch, and I can't say enough good things about Gunstreet as a company. I really respect Sean and what he's all about, and the product is top-notch. I've got three different guitars that now have Gunstreet harnesses in them, and I could not be happier. So go to GunstreetWiringShop.com and check them out.